1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, verse 10, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete among us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us. He's given us his spirit. And we've seen and we testify that the Father, he's not, that he has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. Verse 18, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears has not yet been made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God but hates their brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen can't love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And bless you for sneezing. Or gesundheit. I'm going to make 12 simple statements just from these verses. There's a lot there, isn't there? That's like a month of sermons, just in that one big old chunk. So 12, 12 points. Um, you know what? I can't do it. I'm not going to write them all out. It's too much writing. You just write them down yourself. Thank you. Love comes from God as a miraculous gift, point number one. Verse 7, love comes from God as a miraculous gift. We talked a whole night about it. You don't make it happen. It's His to make happen. As you abide in Him, you bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Love comes from God. It's a miracle. It's a total miracle. Verse 7. Point 2, love is a result of being born again. And love is a result of knowing God. As you know, with, as you know God, as you say your yes and His Spirit comes, and then as you walk with Him, the byproduct is fruit. That's point two. Love is the result of being born again and knowing God. That's, again, from also from verse seven. Am I talking too fast? Point three. 
Did I repeat it enough? Okay. Point three, if we don't love, we do not yet know God. Which means, what's the answer if I don't have enough love? I need to get to know God better. So the correct result when I realize I need more love is not shame on me. Right? Remember we talked about this with Peter? He realizes he's sinful and he knows he's in the presence of holiness and he says, get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. What's the right answer? Come closer. I'm a sinful man. Right? Because we think, you, I, you know, I can't be in the presence of this holiness. We, we put the fig leaves, we run away and we want to hide. But our fig leaves good compared to what the Father's going to give us to cover our shame. The righteousness of Jesus is far superior to our fig leaves. So instead of get away from me, I'm a sinful man, the answer is I've got to get closer to you and let your love absolutely deal with, pay for, uh, provide for, and transform. Which is why it says in 1 John earlier that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to both cleanse us of our sin, to forgive the sin and cleanse us of the stain. So he deals with both the guilt and the stain. He deals with the relational setback and with the psychological weight of it, wipes it out. So if we don't love, we just don't know God well enough yet. Verse 8, point 4. Love doesn't, this is repetitious because John's repetitious. Love doesn't come from us. It flows from God through Jesus to us. And then we give it back to God as our response. That was a long one, verse 10. Love doesn't come from us. It flows from God through Jesus to us and then back to God as response. In fact, the whole Christian life is response. You tell me when we're ready for five. A few people looked, okay. Five, as we, verse 11 says, as we receive undeserved love from God, we learn to give away undeserved love to others. When did he love us, you guys? At our best? <sighs> At our worst. And as that really comes home and sinks in, we start to love people who don't deserve it, we start to forgive people who ain't even apologized yet. They ain't even repented yet. They ain't even done sinning against us yet. They're 12 miles from apologizing. And we love and forgive them before they even come close to it. Because that's how the Father is to us. Now, I didn't say you better get busy doing it. What I said is as we receive undeserved love from God, we learn to give away undeserved love to others. That's verse 11. That was five. Okay. I guess I'll just email these to you, too, in case you, uh, you know. From verse 12, I got this. Number six. Though God is invisible. Man, I love this one so much. Though God is invisible. Though God is invisible. He becomes visible. Among us. As we love each other. That's what it says. That's verse 12. At, though God is invisible, he becomes visible among us as we love each other. Dude, 
Point seven, by the indwelling spirit of Christ, we experientially know and practically daily rely on God's love for us. For us. I'll say it again. By the indwelling spirit of Christ, we experientially know and practically rely on God's love for us. Is that too long? That's all the verses from 13 all the way to 16. I'm shortening them, actually. That's a big deal. It's like a super big deal. Do you take time to receive his love daily? You need to. If you're normal, you probably just get busy trying to earn his love every day. If you're normal. It's extremely important to sit in his presence and receive his love. Ah, oh, it sounds so simple. And it's really a challenge. Romans 5.5 confirms the same thing. Uh, It says that God has shed abroad or poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom whom he has given us. And that word shed abroad or poured out, it doesn't mean little droplets full. It doesn't mean a little bit. He's not poured a cup of love, just a little cup of love for the Holy Spirit. No, shed abroad means like poured to overflowing. This is an effusion. This is an overflow. This is a gushing, uh, you know, abundant... Paul's using strong language. It's so interesting to me. So to talk about what, what, is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, it means to be overflowed, just overflowed, just completely overflowed with love. God's love for you. God's love for you. God's love for you. Specifically, precisely, and concretely, personally, you. Actually, you. That's probably enough on that one. <laughs> Point A, true spirituality is love. It's the second half of verse 16. True spirituality is love. Love is the deep. Love is the deep. Love is what's profound. Not insight, not knowledge. Love is what's impressive. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 is all about that. You can speak in tongues, but if you don't have love, the tongues mean nothing. You can prophesy with crazy accuracy, but if you don't have love, the prophecies mean nothing. You can be super generous. You can sell your home. You can sell everything. You can sell everything you own and give the, give the money to the poor. But if you don't love, it's all a waste. You can have zeal. You can have sacrifice. You can have knowledge. You can be theologically orthodox. But if you don't have love, it actually, all the other stuff, means nothing. True spirituality is love. Now, if you love and you have tongues, now the tongues matter. If you love and you prophesy, now the prophecy matters. If you love and you have give sacrificially, now the generosity matters. But what brings like authenticity, the smell and signature and weight of heaven to a thing is the love. That's why Mother Teresa said, I don't, I don't worry about doing great things for God. I worry about doing small things with great love. Actually, she said, we can do no great things for God but only small things with great love. One of the most helpful things I learned from uh, Brother Lawrence was when he said, or was it Frank Laubach? One of those dudes. (laughs) Uh, They said, um, don't 
don't worry so much as whether all your actions are led by the Spirit. You can fall into a weird charismatic legalism about that. Second guessing and freaking out and feeling ashamed because maybe you heard God and you didn't, weren't sure and all that. And it's nonsense. You're under grace. You're free from the law. Be also free from weird charismatic legalism. But offer whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or, or vacuum the, the carpet or discipline the kids or whatever it is that you're doing. Everything you do, whatever you do, word, deed, do it as an act of love to God. Dude, that helped me so much. That's what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. Because I was trying to be led by the Spirit. That's one of the things God said to me one day. He reminded me of that, and he's like, Tim, you're doing it wrong. I said, doing what wrong? He said, you're trying to be led by the Spirit. I said, what's wrong with that? He said, you're falling into a a, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're self-evaluating constantly as to whether this or that was the Spirit or just you or me. You're under grace. Relax and just offer to me whatever you happen to be doing as love, as worship. And I said, that doesn't sound right to me, but it kind of sounds right. He's like, you know, you know, well, I think I know what I'm talking about here. And I'm like, yeah, but what about all these other scriptures? And he's like, I'm giving you the key to live out those scriptures. True spirituality is love. Okay, point nine. Love is the seal of God on our foreheads. This is from verse 17. In this world, we're like Jesus. Why? Love. Love is the seal of God on our foreheads that marks us out from the rest of the world. Dan Moeller, I heard him say, the mark of the beast is not a chip you get in your hand or whatever or a special credit card. The mark of the beast is the image of the beast in your nature. And you know what the seal of, of God is on, the, on those who belong to God? It's the, it's the nature of Jesus formed in their spirit, in their heart, in their character. It's this. It's love. I was like, that's an interesting thought, Dan. That kind of takes some of the fear and speculation out of your end time. Yeah, there is a mark of the beast. And yeah, there is a seal of God placed on the forehead of the saints. And what is that seal? In this world, we look like Jesus. Why? Love. Point 10. God's love strips us of shame and condemnation, bringing assurance and peace and boldness. That comes from verse 18. Perfect love casts out fear. God's love strips us of condemnation, bringing assurance and security and peace and boldness. Man, I got to go faster so we can get through this, get to discussions. 11. Receiving God's love is the true root of all of our love. This one's big, guys. Receiving, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Receiving God's love is the true root of all our love. And the final one, the 12th observation I make on this big chunk of verses is we love God as much as, this one's the hard one, the person we love the least. That's based on verses 20 and 21. We love God as much as the person we love the least. Okay, discussion questions. Uh, where's this? How do you guys define love? 
How do you guys define love? Say it again. So love to God is expressed as obedience, but is that how you define it? A start. Right. What else, guys? Forgiveness, being forgiven. So forgiveness. That's. I would say forgiveness is one of the things love will do. Unconditional, Unconditional love. Love. Uh, so give that to me in a sentence. Love has no conditions. Love forgives. Love obeys God. If we love God, we'll obey his commands. That's very much 1 John. And for, yeah. I'm still not hearing a definition of what it is. Not just what it does, what it is. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying. Love will endure pain. Does it always have to be painful, though? And then if you have a kid, it's like a part of you has been taken out of your body and placed in this person for the rest of your life. How you are doing will be directly connected, not completely, but in some way, really, to how they're doing. At least that's how I feel as a dad. I still haven't heard a definition, but I'm hearing good descriptions. God is love. John Fried's been quiet. Stan's talking. Love is unconditional. Love is the essence of God, but I'm still hearing these as attributes. I'm very picky on this. Not, these are not definitions. These are attributes. So we're, we're, these are more thesaurus entries. Okay, so now we're, now we're sniffing our way toward what it is. That's really what we've been doing. We've kind of been coondogging this thing. We can smell that it's over here somewhere. Love gives you, love has nothing to do with earning. Maybe that's a good way to put it. This is harder than you thought, isn't it? Have you said anything yet, Tim? Would you like to offer any words? Trying to wake up. Love is trying to wake up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Affection. I like it. I like it. That's probably in my definition. I have my definition. Doesn't mean it's right. I deliberately didn't look at Webster's or a Bible dictionary or anything to get my definition because I'm interested in hearing what you think and what I think. Terry, anything? Affection and action, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Commitment. Okay, I think everyone has talked. Is that right? John. <laughs> this is a group project. You have to make a contribution or you'll fail the class. I'm kidding. You won't fail the class. Yeah, there's no real homework or grades. And the prize money is not real. Here's how I define love. You ready to hear my definition? Uh, too bad you can't have it. I'm just kidding. I'll give it to you. Uh, love is treasuring. Treasuring someone. Or valuing someone. Period. Now I have qualifier Qualifiers. I have two qualifiers. Love is treasuring or valuing someone. And here's qualifier one. In a way that comes deeply from the heart. And here's qualifier number two. And is necessarily expressed outwardly in actions. And I feel really good about that definition. I worked hard on that definition. It's like the bulk of my, my prep time today was like, how do you define it? <laughs> Love is treasuring someone or valuing someone in a way that comes deeply from the heart and is necessarily expressed in outward action. Question two, how do you think the world defines love? Self? Yeah, romance and sex. And I, you didn't even say romance, so I've been giving it credit, the benefit of the doubt. Love is sex. Hmm, making sure each of your needs get met. Yeah, so it's a, um, it's like a transaction. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I love you as long as you love me. As long as I fill your love tank, hopefully you'll keep filling mine. When, that, when you stop, the, the, uh, the uh, contract is over. Conditional. How else does the world define love? You know how I think we use it in the world? Really liking a thing. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love that car. Oh, I love this ice cream. Oh, I love that cat. Oh, I love your hat. It's like, dude. I think we just use the word love too much. We, we, we use it a lot. We also use words like awesome and amazing a little bit differently than they, we probably should. <laughs> You're amazing. Sentimental attachment. Is that a way the world uses the word love? Sentimental attachment. How about infatuation? I was in love, we say. No, you weren't in love. You were infatuated. How about number three? How does God prove his love for us?
Come on, stop squeaking. That's a theta for theos, which is God. Oh, and then when I do this, a chi and a rho, that's for Christos, Christ. How does God prove his love for us? It was right in the verses we read tonight. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for, uh, for us. Like, so, so Paul and John, like they can't even process the word love without instantly going to Jesus, and they can't process Jesus without instantly going to the worst moment of his life. Somebody, I remember when I was studying New Testament theology, they said that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are actually passion narratives with long introductions. Passion narratives meaning the passion of the Christ, his, his suffering and death. And I was like, ouch. That's, that's, that's because that's the proof. That's the I love you of God. He doesn't say... I treasure you so much that I wrote you poetry. Now nah, he bleeds. He bleeds his poetry. His poetry. That's like. I remember the first time I watched Matthew, the NIV text of Matthew. They acted it out with the, the little video series. And I'm a brand new baby Christian. I don't know anything. I don't even know why Jesus died for me yet. I literally don't understand even that. I was saved and filled with the Spirit before I understood the gospel. It's not supposed to work that way, but it did for me. That's all out of order. The Lord just worked all out of order with me. <laughs> it's weird, right? Saved on drugs in the mountains, baptized in the Spirit before I even understood the gospel. The whole thing was out of order. So there I am sitting, and I'm watching Jesus on the cross, and they're nailing the spikes into his wrists. And... I just can't stop crying, and I don't know why. I could not, I didn't know why. I didn't know why I was crying. And, and I also didn't know why I was so high. I thought I was high. I thought I was on drugs. Because I was a habitual drug user and then met Jesus. Y'all, that wasn't, I wasn't high. It was the Holy Spirit. Here, I'd never realized. So can you see how confused I was? Why am I crying? I have no idea. And why am I high? I'm so confused right now. Do you know what it was? The love of God was being shed abroad in my heart. For you, Tim. For you. For you, Tim. For you. For you. For you. This how much I love you. That's how much I love you. That's how much I love you. That's how much I love you. That, that pain in your, when you cry so hard, your throat hurts and your chest is tight. I literally, I said, I look over at my buddy Darren, I said, why am I tripping? And he goes, I don't know, but me too. Both, we didn't know anything. We really needed discipling. I'm we didn't know. That's how God proves his love for us. Question four, do you believe that God looks exactly like Jesus? Or do you trust one member of the Trinity more than the others? Or less than the others? When we do prayer stuff with people, I have friends and they're like, 
I have a hard time with the Father, but I really like Jesus. And others are like, mm, I have a hard time with the Holy Spirit because I don't know why. And then I go, yeah, I know why. It's mommy issues. Usually is. It's not a fact. It's not a law. It's just an observation. But if you don't, if you don't see the Father as looking exactly like Jesus, then you don't see the Father correctly. If you don't see the Father as love, if you don't see the Holy Spirit as perfect love, if you don't see Jesus as perfect love, you don't see clearly yet. And that matters. That really matters. That's question four. Do you believe God looks exactly like Jesus or do you trust one member of the Trinity more or less than the others? I remember growing up at our church, we had this discussion and so many people said, well, the Father's just really not very approachable. I really enjoy relating to Jesus. I find he's more accessible to me. But oh, the Father, I just kind of, whoo, here comes. He's stomping into the room with a big old paddle, wanting to whack me. And then Jesus jumps in front of the paddle. No, Dad, he's under the blood. And I'm like, oh, guys, we need a gospel. Can we get a gospel up in here? These are church folks saying this crazy heresy. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Philip. He's the exact representation of the Father's being, Hebrews 1.3. No one has even seen God, but God, His Son, the one and only, who is close to the Father's bosom, has made Him known. John 1. Question 5. Have you had any bad experiences being presented with a picture of God who is not love. Anyone, raise your hand, tell a story. Stan, Stan's hand went up to I said, tell a story, and then he scratched his neck. Have you had any bad experiences being presented with a God who was not love? I have. Feel free to share. You were Catholic, so come on. Ah. Well, that's what, that's what the, the whole thing where you just describe to people um, the vision of God. Yeah. That Jesus was protecting us from the Father. From the Father. Like God was here, ready to handle us, mm. and Jesus stepped in the way. Yeah. It's not biblical. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Where was, so where was the Father when Jesus was on the cross? Yeah, why would he give his son if, he was, if his wrath was going to pull Was Jesus on the cross uh, saving us from, yeah, by taking the anger of God, or is this the expression of the Father's love? That's the expression. See what I'm saying? And then I can hear my smart Calvinist friend saying, it's both, moron. And then I will say, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> I remember being threatened with hell if I won't love God. Heaven's gates, hell's flames. Come forward or else, turn or burn. And I was like, man, I really don't want to burn in hell. But I also don't think I can keep all these rules. It's quite a conundrum. So I went forward and cried at the altar and never got saved. Unless you count praying a prayer based out of fear 
to commit to being more rules-driven for a bit before I quit again, unless you count that as getting saved, which I don't. Was that confusing? Oh, the, that, that depiction, right? Like, Hello? Who is it? It's Jesus. Uh, what? You need to let me in. Is this the big bad wolf or Jesus? Why should I let you in? Because of what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. Evangelism. No! <laughs> Question six. Oh, no, no, no. Let me express this real quick. Ben Gibbard has a song. In We're almost done. Ben Gibbard has a song. I'll sing it. In Catholic school, as vicious as Roman rule, I got my knuckles bruised by a lady in black. And I held my tongue as she told me, son, fear is the heart of love. So I never went back. Ouch. Yikes, Ben. God bless Ben in Jesus' name. You catch it? That's why he never went back. Fear is the heart of love. I'm going to threaten you into this kingdom. Shotgun weddings to Jesus. You know, you done sinned, you done messed up, you got that girl pregnant, now it's going to be getting a ring. <laughs> well, um, question six. Uh, the author of the book that we're using to supplement this class says that God's love shows us an example that love both gives and forgives without the person deserving the giving or apologizing to deserve the forgiving. Do you agree with this? Why or why not? I'm just going to move on and not give us time to answer that because we're over time. But it's a good question, isn't it? Love both gives and forgives without the person deserving the giving or apologizing to deserve the for, to, before they receive the forgiving. Mm. That's intense. Mm. Question seven, what keeps you from receiving God's love? I don't need you to answer out loud, but think about it. What keeps you from receiving God's love? And my encouragement is, if you think of something, the next time that you talk to God, tonight or tomorrow morning or whenever that is that you have a regular date with, with God, go ahead and repent and receive Question eight, what keeps you from extending God's love to others? Yeah, I know, I know. But they, yeah, but they, but they shouldn't have. But that's no excuse that they, you don't understand what the, I know. Next time you go into prayer, choose to express words of forgiveness Surrender that hurt to God. We can't have that stuff. Hang, we, can't, we can't hold on to that stuff, guys. It'll block our love. Blocks the flow of love. Blocks the flow of grace. Am I saying it's easy? No. And I'm right there with you. Me too, guys. Me too. It hurts. But that's why we got to let it go. Because it hurts can't hold on to all that hurt. It's too much to hold on to. 
You done for the night? Me too. Good. Good job, everybody. Father, seal it all in Jesus' name. Amen.